Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15. And in this chapter, there's a message from God, a message of God. And in verses 1 through 7 is that message from God. So let's begin with chapter 15 with verses 1 through 2. And it says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa. And all Judah said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore, they... Oh, the two pages stuck together. Sorry, folks. Let me just start from the beginning. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So in verses 1 through 2, this message comes from God. The messenger is Azariah. His name means whom Jehovah aids. But not much else is known about Azariah. Now, what was it that made Azariah qualified to bring God's message to the people? Well, God's word says here that the spirit of God came upon him. And, and I think it's a good thing to, to note that, you know, we need to make sure that if we're going to speak for God in the name of God, that we need to know that it's the spirit of God that is moving us, that is, you know, impressing upon us what to say to make sure that it's, you know, it, it's the word of God and, and in line with God's word. We read it that says the spirit of God came upon him. So it was the Spirit of God that qualified him. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals and interprets God's will to us. But again, just because the Spirit of God came upon a man, it didn't prove that he was a good man. And Balaam and Saul uh, proved that fact. But there's no reason here to doubt that Azariah was a true prophet of Jehovah God and that God spoke to his people through Azariah. So the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, just like he did on other holy men in the Old Testament that God used to speak to his people. The message that Azariah had was for, notice it says, for verse 2, for Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. So notice that God is speaking to kings and their subjects. Because you see, to God, there is no difference between leaders and subjects. You know, sometimes people think that God's word applies to certain people depending on what their status is. Like the word of God applies more to a pastor or assistant pastor or a leader than it does to us because, well, you know, they're, they're in a position that, you know, oh, no. You know, God's word means one thing. It doesn't mean one thing to leaders and something else to those who aren't leaders. That's wrong thinking. God's word is the same for everyone and anyone. It does not matter what your position is in life. Now, your position may make, uh, make you more accountable to God for the word, but it, you know, it's not any different for anybody else. God's messages in the law and the gospel are, directly, are, are directed equally to every believer. The king is under the law just as much as the servant. The servant has just as much right to what the gospel offers as the king does. God is not impartial about his word, who, you know, uh, giving it or, 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 or being judged by it. So Asa and his soldiers here were coming back from the battle. Remember, against Zerah, the Ethiopian, 
when Azariah gave these words of warning. The words were right on time because the king and his veteran troops were in danger now of patting themselves on the back and praising themselves and having the self-confidence, giving themselves credit for their great achievements. And again, looking at their own skill and ability and trusting in their own courage to protect them again. You see, without thinking about Jehovah or his ways or his help, we're never in more danger of forgetting God than when we're doing well. When everything is just, you know, just on beat. You know, and that's the time that we need to be watching out. You know, uh, when, when we're rejoicing in our victories, even though they're given by God, we need to be watching. Again, listen to the warning given to God's people in Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 20. The warning says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, here's why, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied and your heart is lifted up and forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. My power and my hand, again, has gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. And as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. It is not a good thing to forget God's goodness, who the credit should go to. There's a real danger when we're prospering and when we're comfortable and when everything is going well, because we can get so wrapped up in the blessings that we forget about the one who's given us those blessings. And this is why Moses advised the Jews to give God praise after they had eaten their meals so that they wouldn't, give, uh, so that they wouldn't forget the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, most Christians give thanks to the Lord before they eat, which is natural, and that's fine. But you know, it's also a good practice to give thanks after we're full, which you know, would be following Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. Moses made it very clear what the dangers were in forgetting that God is the source of every blessing that we enjoy. If we forget God, then success has a way of making us proud. And we forget that that, that, uh, it was because of the Lord that we're saved. The Jews had been slaves in Egypt. And now they would be living in nice houses. They'd be watching their flocks grow and increase. And they'd be gathering gold and silver. They, 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 and it would result in forgetting what the Lord had done for them. You know, that they had been wanderers in the wilderness. 
And now they'd be settling down in a nice, rich land flowing with milk and honey. They'd be enjoying peace and prosperity with their children and their grandchildren. So you see, it would be really easy for Israel to become proud and to forget how helpless they were before the Lord rescued them. And then to think their success was because of their own strength, their own wisdom, and that they deserved it. Verse 18 says here, if you go down real quick, it says, but remember the Lord your God because it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Then the message here also had a doctrine, a promise, and a warning. First, the doctrine. Notice verse 2. It says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. That is, the Lord is with you while you are with him to accept you, to protect you, to assist you, to bless you as long as you're with him. His presence with them is always based on them being with him. And in the sense of believing in him, loving him and obeying him. We read in 2 Chronicles 12, 5, the prophet Shemaiah then met with Rehoboam and Judah's leaders who all fled to Jerusalem because of Shishak. And Shemaiah told them, this is what the Lord says. And this is why Rehoboam fled from Jeru- uh, to Jerusalem because of Shishak. God said, because you have forsaken me, therefore I also have left you. Secondly, in verse 2, we have a promise. Notice what it says. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If they, <clears throat> if they looked for him. That is not, you know, a lot of times we look for, for God because of our needs. You know, well, Lord, I need this and I'm, 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 I've got this going on and I need your intervention. But if they were to seek the Lord for repentance and faith and love and obedience, it says he will find them. How? He will accept them and he will give them grace and he will help them. Now, this promise, which was always true of, of Jehovah in his relations with Israel, is just the same and just as true of his relations with us today who are in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. Hebrews tells us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Who are truly searching him out. Then third in verse 2 we have a warning. If you forsake him... He will forsake you. That is, if they turn their back from the path of righteousness, from the path of transformation that they started on, God would also withdraw his presence and his help from them. The condition is given to all. The same condition is given to all God's people. Hebrews 10, 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, let's look at verse three. Now, in verse three, we have a lesson from history here. Verse three says, for a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. In verse three, we see the word without used three times and they point to three serious problems. This verse is part of the message from Azariah to King Asa to convince the king to make more uh, reforms in Judah. The three withouts mentioned in verse 3 describe our day just as much as it did Asa's day. And if we don't fix these three problems, these three withouts, our land is also headed for destruction. I think it's already well on its way. First of all, in verse 3, it says, notice they were what? Without the true God. 
We have plenty of so-called gods today. But you see, we're going about our life without Jehovah God and doing it on purpose. Now, God didn't leave us. We left him. And you know what? We do it intentionally. We don't just want God. We just don't want God today in our country. There are too many people who are interested, who aren't interested in God these days. There aren't a lot of people interested in God these days. We see it when we when we when we see what's going on in our country and in the news. Jesus said this in, in Revelation 2, 4. I have this against you that you have left your first love. He said, you didn't leave me. You didn't go off the track in the word. You just neglected me. I, I, to me, that seems kind of worse. Yeah, I know you're there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, but, you know, I'm just kind of neglect you, ignore you that you're there. We see that. We see that people have neglected God when we see where a lot of them are on Sundays. And what Sundays, which was a day of worship, the Lord's Day has become today. It's become a more popular day to, a day to do business and, and, and to have a day of pleasure. And, and, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, you know, many stores were closed on Sundays. There was hardly anybody on the road on Sunday. They weren't, they, there was no businesses open on Sunday. But today, hey. It's a big business day. It's a big sports day. It's a big day to, to go out and just enjoy yourself. And the less of God that we have, the more people like it. But you know what? They still have their false gods, self, pleasure, money, business, and they worship them all. But again, these false gods, they entice. What it is, they draw us away from the true God. And you know what? The false gods, they ultimately destroy the second without, we see in verse 3, it says they were without a teaching priest. Now, the priest's job was to teach the people right from wrong. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel forty-four twenty-three: And they, that is the priest, and they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the holy and cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. If a preacher or teacher is bold enough to teach right from wrong, holy from unholy, they will be criticized. They will be called judgmental. They will be called unloving, harsh, rigid, unsympathetic, unloving. You're just too dogmatic. Well, when it comes to the word of God, you bet. From Genesis to Revelation. You see, nobody wants to die to self. Everybody wants a little bit of wiggle room for their sin. People don't want to be told about their sin. They don't want to be rebuked for it. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, the man who preaches truth and applies it to the lives of his hearers will feel the nails and the thorns, just like Jesus did. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, it's, it's, it's strange and it's sad that we can teach sex education in our schools using graphic pictures, almost pornographic pictures and graphic language, but we better dare not teach them biblical truths. Why is it that our children can't read a Bible in school, but they can get one in prison? Isn't that backwards? Think about that, the, the stupidity of that. Aren't we trying to keep our kids out of prison? Why do I have to swear on the Bible in court when the Ten Commandments can't be displayed in the same courtroom? 
Why do many politicians swear on the Bible when they take their office and then those same politicians write and pass ungodly laws? We are so messed up. The third without in verse 3, it says, is that they were without law. Now, we live in a lawless age today. All you have to do is drive the freeways. We have all kinds of laws on the books and passed by our legislatures. But you know what? That's not what, what, what is being talked about here. He's not saying that we don't have laws. What he's saying is that, that people don't obey the laws. We're without law. It's talking about breaking the law. It describes a law-breaking society that is filled with crime. And why is that? Why are we without law? Why are we a society filled with, 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 people that, I mean, with people committing so many crimes? The answer is because of the first two withouts. Our new governor today signed an executive order, again, putting a moratorium on capital punishment. Capital punishment is a biblical command. When we turn away from God and we're not taught right from wrong, lawlessness will be out of control. A lot of people are concerned about the without law problem, but they're not concerned about the two first withouts. You see, if you're going to fix the without the law problem, without the, the, the abundant crime, you, see, you first have to fix the problems of without God and without teaching right and wrong. Verse 4. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, and he was found by them. But when they got into trouble, when they were in their troubles, when they, their troubles got to be too much for them, it drove them to God and found that it was to their advantage to turn to him. Verse 5. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. In other words, there were problems in their community because of this, the, the, the crime. There was danger. There was violence. And that would be the normal thing. And in those times, there was no peace for the person who went out or went in. In other words, there was no, person, there, there was no peace that was not safe to travel during those dark times. Ungodliness leads to violence. And, and I think we're seeing that's very evident in our nation today. The person who breaks God's commandments without it bothering their conscience, it doesn't worry very much about you know, creating problems or creating confusion with man's sense of right or wrong. We saw it in Noah's day. We saw it in the last days of Greece and Rome. Listen to Genesis 6, 11 through 12. God says, the, <clears throat> the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You know, they, man just imagined to do evil continually. Verse 6. So nation was destroyed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. When people break God's laws, without any sense of, of right and wrong, confusion in the government came with it. Because God was troubling them with every kind of problem. So nation by nation and city by city was destroyed. The only way of avoiding the suffering and the terrible things of such terrible times is by repenting and turning to Jehovah God and the word of God. 
Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. We read in Psalm 107, 17 through 19, Fools, because of their transgression and because their iniquities were afflicted, their soul abhorred or hated all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Proverbs, 13, uh, Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 25, 5 says, Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Verse 7. But you, be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. <clears throat> God's message here encouraged the people in verse 7. He was saying, take action, be vigorous. He says, <clears throat> notice, he says, be strong. He says, don't be afraid to think and do the right thing, which is exactly what was needed at that time, and that's exa exactly what's needed today in our time. In Asa's time, the right thing to do at that time was to cling to Jehovah. Change the false worship of God that had snuck into the worship of God during the rule of the previous king. Wipe out all the idolatrous services. Remove everything that's displeasing to God. Because worshiping false gods would be a lot worse for the country than Zerah's invasion was. There's nothing that God's people need more at any time or in any land than a bold decision to resist sin and to follow holiness and to fight error and defend the truth, reject idolatry and cling, hold on to the Father. Also, there's encouragement there to persevere. Verse 7 says, do not let your hands be weak. It's not good enough to just start well, but you see, you have to keep going. This is necessary in order to finish well. Getting tired of doing good happens often. But we have to do all that we can not to grow weary in well-doing, Paul said. You can't ever let your guard down. Staying in the faith and keeping up good works, you know what? That's expected of us. It's expected of us. And you know what? God has made, the God has made it possible for us to stay in the faith and to keep up good works. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, notice, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Notice whole, not some of it. Put on the whole armor of God. Here's why. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says it twice. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. Notice, and having done all, done, having done everything you possibly could to stand. And then he says, praying always. Notice, watching and praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Notice, being watchful. We talked about the other day. It's, it's crazy to pray, but yet not be watchful. Paul said here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. God has given us the way, the provision in getting victory over the enemy, staying in the faith, keeping up good works. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding, that is, enthusiastic in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
the motivation for not giving up, your work will be rewarded. You have the satisfaction of knowing it's a good work. Proverbs 14, 14 says, a good man will be satisfied from above. And isn't continuing, isn't doing good its own reward in itself? We feel good when we do good, when we do what's right. Secondly, with God's approval. That's a reward. It's being a work that God looks at with acceptance, which we already mentioned in the word. Do not forget to do good and to share for, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased, 11, uh, Hebrews 13, 16. And in the end, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Third, we, should be, you know, we, we, we will do it with ultimate success. We'll do it with ultimate success because it's God's work. It's destined to triumph over every kind of evil because it's a work of God. Now, there may be a long, bitter battle against the work of God and the truth of God and against Christ and the gospel, but you know what? In the end, we're going to win. In the end, there will be victory. Verses 8 through 11. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them uh, from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with them. Uh, So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the uh, God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel would be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. As here's Asa's response in verse 8 through 11 to the message. He took action. You see, that's what's supposed to take place when we hear the word of God. When God speaks to us, we are supposed to take action. Asa removed the idols from the land. You see, he was encouraged, man. He was pumped up by Azariah's words, by the message from God. And Asa decided to have a meeting with the nation and to enter into a serious relationship and covenant with the people to carry out the the. the the reformation work that they started. And it was so clearly of the Lord, uh, seen in the great victory that he gave them over Zerah and the Ethiopian invader. For starters, Asa removed the offensive idols. Notice it says in verse 8, from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he'd taken in the mountains of Ephraim. If Israel needed to do this, If Israel needed to do these very things so that they would be able to meet with their God, how much more should we take the same measures but in our heart before we can meet with God for any kind of worship? We need to remove the idols from our heart, especially all known sin. It has to be forsaken. Notice what else Asa did here. It says that he restored the altar of the Lord. The brazen altar of Solomon. It had probably been defiled by idol worship by earlier kings and it needed to be rededicated to the Lord and to be used only for the Lord God. Third, the people were invited to a national meeting. 
Because again, without the hearts of the people, without a sincere agreement uh, uh, from the people and cooperation of the people, you, you, can't, you can't accomplish the work of God. So all Judah and Benjamin with Israelites who saw that God was behind Asa in this revival, they were called to Jerusalem on a particular day to make a covenant to seek the Lord. And that's what we need to do. Asa's victory over Zerah was taken by the Israelites as proof that God was on Asa's side. And it says in verse 9, the number of Israelites largely increased. They grew. God blessed them. Now, what was wanted and needed at that time in Judah and in Israel to bring the godly people together is still what's wanted and needed today. A leader who has God on his side because he's on God's side. The fourth thing that we saw, see that Asa did, the gathering of the godly in Jerusalem showed the heart of the people. That they responded at once to their king's call. They responded to their leader. You see, followers that won't follow, they're a hindrance to those who would lead in making changes that God calls for. Unity is strength and it usually means victory. Disunity is weakness and it always ends in defeat. Remember when Moses died and, and Joshua took Moses' place? Listen to what the people said uh, when Joshua took over Moses' place. So they answered Joshua saying, All that you command us, we will do. And, whatever you, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. What a blessing from jo- for Joshua. Because, oh, you know what, we, we like Moses better. And, you know, he, Moses, you know, he did things. You know, you, you're doing things different. And, and that's usually what happens when, when there's a new leader. Oh, well, we don't like the new ways. We don't like, you know, as long as they're not sinful and disobedient to God. Hey, we're called to obey. If, that, if God is leading that person in that direction, we're to follow. They told Joshua, you know what, Joshua, whatever you command us, we're going to do. And wherever you send us, we're going to go. We're going to do for you just like we did for Moses. What a blessing. You should always be an encouragement to your leaders. Never a hindrance. 11 through 14. Verses 11 through 14. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with, notice, with all of their heart, with all of their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. They meant serious business here. These 7, 000, uh, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep, they were part of the loot that was taken from Zerah's uh, army. And they were now being offered to Jehovah God. Asa's victory was totally because God intervened. God helped them. And those that God makes successful, God should honor him. God should honor him with their possessions. We see that in Proverbs 3 9. It says, Honor the Lord with our possessions. Every man, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, has, as God has prospered him, is to give unto the Lord. This is the rule for Christian giving. And the people made a covenant. And that covenant, the object of the covenant was twofold. 
The first verse 12 tells us to seek the Lord God of their fathers. The right thing to do for everybody. To seek God, whether a nation or individual. Because you see, God is the only source. He's only going to be the the true source of, of, of success. True success. For either one, whether it's a nation or individual, he's the source for true success. If you're going to seek God, notice what it said here. It should be what? With your whole heart. Nothing less will do. It can't be less than our whole heart or it's not true religion. Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is with every fiber of your being. And then verse 13, the other object of this work of Asa was to put people to death. God did not tolerate idolatry or any other form of religion. Idolatry to the holy God of Israel was high treason. Now, freedom of conscience, that is, like we have today, (laughs) that didn't have any say-so under the law. Freedom of conscience, again, uh, or any other form of religion, didn't, uh, freedom didn't mean anything under the the Jewish law. You obeyed the law or else. Church and state was one in Judah. Now, under the gospel, God alone is Lord of the conscience, and each man has the right of choosing his own religion, his own creed, his own worship, without being told or, or without force, but he answers for the choice that he makes. And in the end, God will judge because he's God's creature and he's God's subject. Now, this is the doctrine of religious equality. Everybody has the right to choose what they want. We should be carefully, we should be carefully recognized from that religion. It needs to be carefully recognized from religious toleration. In other words, we have the, choose, the right to choose whatever we want to believe in the creed, but that doesn't mean that God tolerates it and it's okay with him. It's the freedom that we have to choose. God has given us free will. It doesn't mean that God accepts it and God tolerates it. Okay, whatever you choose to believe is okay. No, in the end, we will be judged. Third, it says in verse 14, they took an oath before the Lord. That is, they made this promise with an oath to carry out this twofold purpose described of either follow God or, or be put to death. They took the oath with enthusiasm. Notice it said with a loud voice. In other words, they shouted out their oath. They shouted out their, their oath with enthusiasm, which is always a good thing. And especially when it's true religion. Look at verse 15 now. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord, notice, the Lord gave them rest all around. Here's the results of obeying God's message. That was given in the first seven verses. The joy of the people proved that they were sincere. Their joy proved that they were for real. They rejoiced in the unity and the enthusiasm of the covenant they made to God in hope of reaching the goals of the covenant. Now look at the zeal of the king in verses 16 through 18. 
also, notice, Asa removed Maacah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and then crushed and burned it by the book Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. You don't think King Asa was serious about this covenant with God? Asa fired grandma. He fired, you don't fire grandma. But he fired grandma from being queen mother. And this was a gutsy and delicate job for anybody, even a king. But here's the deal. In the kingdom of God, it especially has to be done even if it's family. She was of high rank. She was respected. She was a powerful influence in the land. But she practiced idolatry. So by removing her, Asa showed that he meant business in bringing about reformation. You see, that's the sign, the true sign of evidence that we mean what we say about having a walk with God. We will do whatever it takes, no matter what it is and how hard it might be to do it. Even it means getting rid of grandma in a nice way, you know. The Ten Commandments tell us to honor our fathers and mothers. And yet Asa removes his grandmother from the throne. Even though honoring parents is a command of God, maintaining loyalty to God is even a higher priority. Jesus warns so in Luke 14, 26. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, notice, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You see, nobody should ever keep us from following Jesus. If you have unbelieving parents, you need to respect them, yes, and you need to honor them. But you must make devotion to God an even higher priority. Secondly, Asa destroyed the obscene female images Grandma made. But he didn't get rid of the high places that were connected with the worship of Jehovah. Asa could have removed those high places, but he didn't. He only went part way with God. And yet, it shows us the grace of God. God still used him. There's a lot of people who consider themselves to be separated, and yet they go around criticizing everybody else in the ministry who don't do the things they, the way they would do them. But you see, that's not really separation at all. Separation isn't trying to straighten out everybody else it's trying, and trying to force people uh, God is using to change to your way. That, that's a kind of hypocrisy. If you want real revival, the place to start is with you. It starts with me. Here's the idea. Think about it. It's getting in, in a room by yourself. It's drawing a circle around you and saying, Lord, start a revival and let it start inside this circle. 
And then verse 3 and verse 8, um, the, ver- the third thing we see Asa do in verse 18, it says he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated. And then just to finish up with verse 19 again, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So in closing, we see that God approved of what Asa did in the Reformation based on the fact that for the next 20 years, the land enjoyed peace. It had rest. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And if nations and individuals would please God by their ways, Psalm 46, 9 says, he'd make wars cease to the end of the earth. Father, we thank you for such an informative chapter, God, such a blessed chapter, Lord. So much to glean from God. So much to to follow after, Lord. And Father, may we again look at the chapter uh, in in our own time and, and even more slowly, God, where we could just see great and mighty things from it, Lord. But again, the word of God came through Azariah. To Asa and the people. They took the message of God and they obeyed it. They took action. They cleansed the land. They removed all the things that displeased God. And God blessed them with peace in the land. That recipe, if you will, is the same for us today. When we hear the word of God, when it's brought by God's prophet or God's preacher, our job is to obey it, put it into action, to remove the things from our lives that are displeasing to God. No matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it might be, those are the true signs of truly truly loving God. And if we don't love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, there cannot be a relation. Love must be the foundation for my relation. Because then and only then will I truly experience peace with God. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's because there are some things that you need to do. You heard God's word. Now it needs to be applied and you need to remove the things from your life that displease God. And you need to seek God's forgiveness for putting those things above God and receive forgiveness of God and grace and the love of God and then along with it, the peace of God. The worship team's going to lead us in a time of worship. And if God has spoken to your heart, and you realize your need for God. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there, and when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.